You know, we, we talk over the last few months about this concept of but if not, right? All the things we want to do, want to be able to do in your situation, to this constant, right? I mean, but if not, you know, how do we, how do we handle that? Um, and it's challenging. We all face those challenges and we come to the point in our lives sometimes we have to say, you know, Lord, I, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do for me. This is what I want you to do for me in this situation. And remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were facing the fiery furnace. And they said, you know, we know you, God can do this. God can save us. But even if he does not, King, we're not going to do what you want us to do. We're still going to follow God. And that's been the theme, honestly, of the past six, seven months, right? Starting with Joseph being in bondage and, and moving toward the promised land. And now we're in this new series. And before I jump kind of into the sermon, I just want to hit a couple of things. If you guys could be praying for the youth ministry, we're taking 100 people today uh, to PVM camp to do our missions trip. It's our summer missions trip. We decided to stay home this year and work in different venues around the city, around Cincinnati area. And we have a, diff- a lot of different projects we're going to be doing. And a uh, 100 people can do a lot of good damage, if you will, in, in that many days. So I'll be praying for us. Um, there's a lot of people going, a lot of coordination, a lot of effort put into this. So please pray that everything goes well, everybody stays safe, and a lot of a lot gets accomplished for the Lord. The other thing <clears throat> is at that... This time of year, June especially, the giving goes like this. It goes and drops through the floor. And we expect it. So we, the budget is kind of laid out that way where June is probably the lowest budgeted, um, you know, month of the year. And I asked Karen yesterday, you know, what's the, what's the budget for June? How much do we have to bring in in June? And we were talking it through and we think we're going to make budget. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. Okay. June is no different. April was the largest giving month in the church's history. We made budget again in May. We're doing fine financially. But then June comes along in July and everything tanks and we use up all our reserves. Enough of this, okay? Seriously, I'm willing to dig in my pocket and give extra. You guys need to be willing to dig in. your. Let's get let's not have this happen. This just June, July swoon. What happens is everybody goes away. You can see the numbers start to go down in June and July. All the all the all the things that are going on around us, the graduations, everything go on vacation. People forget to give and then they don't catch up because, you know, they don't have the resources to catch up. So. Go online, give online, set it up where you give the next two months automatically, whatever. But I I sincerely, I have committed to prayer that June, July are not going to be these big dip months. Okay, where we dig into the where we dig into our reserves and we have to wait for December. Baloney. We're 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 followers of Jesus Christ. Part of our our being followers of Jesus Christ is that we sacrifice and we give and we tithe because we are impacting people's lives. Forget where uh, Africa and and Mexico and all around the world and India. We're impacting people's lives right here at home. And it's just that I can't get up every morning and tell you every Sunday morning and tell you this family we're buying a new house for and this family we're getting a new we're we're doing this and we're doing that and doing the other thing. We're doing so many amazing things for people in our own body, but that takes resources and it takes resources to help people around the world and to do the things that we're doing. No one can stretch a buck like Grace Chapel. No one. Okay, no church. So your money is well taken care of. 
But I, I just wanted to say that because, you know, we can't, we can't go through this swoon, June swoon kind of thing. Let's just go, go online, give twice as much, all right, for June and July so we don't have to think about it. Real quick and we'll jump into the sermon. God, we do thank you for this morning. We do thank you for the group that's going and me included going on this trip, Lord, going on this mission trip for the next week here. Pray that you would just move in each of the students' lives, that people would come to know you as Lord and Savior, that relationships would be built, lifelong relationships would be built among the students, Lord, and that lives would be changed, not only the people that we're helping, but the people who are helping, doing the helping, their lives would be changed as well. And God, we pray for this summer, we pray there will be a dynamic, miraculous, incredible summer, not only in the giving, Lord, but in every area of the church. We love you, we praise you, we believe, Lord God, that you're going to do all these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Frank Lawback, all of us when reading this book, Practicing His Presence, and even if you haven't read it yet, get a copy and read it, okay? Even if the series, we're going to end the series next week, but get a copy and read it. It's, it's profound, and it's not the Bible, so not everything they say in there, you, you can say, oh, this, you know, this is gospel truth. Okay, but it's two people who've written this, and it really is a dynamic book that challenges us. And in the book, Frank Lawback wrote this. A prison or a dungeon makes no difference if one is with God. We preach and profess that as that is true, and it is true. But upon my word, I do not see many people who seem to have experienced it. This idea of living and, and being in the presence of God. So during this experience, this series, what we've been doing is we've been trying to, to talk about what it means to live in the presence of God. What it means to go moment by moment. And I know it's difficult. And I don't want you to think it's like going off my prayer closet for a few hours. Or going. It's just living. It's just every decision that we make. How do we live in the presence of God? Because here at Grace Chapel, we have determined not to settle for a mediocre faith. For a faith of mediocrity, when we can experience the miraculous. That's why I said that this morning with June and July, this is not even miraculous. This shouldn't even be a, a, a discussion. We are not going to settle for mediocrity when we can, we can experience the miraculous. We're not going to surrender because the road is rough if the battle's worth fighting. That's, that's part of our DNA, part of who we are. We, we are, we are, we are not, go, we are not going to walk aimlessly in the smoke and the fog when we can walk boldly and fearlessly through the fire. That's been a part of this series as well. That we want to walk through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, hey, like I said earlier, even if God does not do everything I'm asking him to do, I will serve him. I will serve him. I will love him. I will be devoted to him. I will honor him. I will obey him even during the difficult times of life. That's what this series has been all about. Moving from bondage to the promised land. And we talk we're on the edge of the promised land. What is that promised land? The promised land is being in the very presence of God. And we can have that in our lives each and every day. To live in the presence of God, we need to begin to understand or strive to understand what it means to be God intoxicated. Many of you have been intoxicated before. But what does it mean to be God intoxicated? To be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that, that your, your every thought, your, your, every, your every action is, is related to being in the presence of God, the very presence of God. So we're in the stretch, if you will, the home stretch of the series that 
we're, we're calling consumed, consumed. And this morning, what I, what I want to do is I want to get real practical. I want to talk about the, the how-to of living in the presence of God. The how-to. How, how, how do we do that? And what, what, I've, what I've done is I've been talking to many of you throughout the last month or two, and I've talked to the staff, and what I, what I try to do is come up with a, a, a list of ways that we can draw closer to God. Because sometimes, you know, I get up here and talk about this up here, and, you know, God move. But, and I thought to myself, all right, we've got to bring it down a little bit and talk in some very practical ways of how we can live in the presence of God. All right, so number one, we'll jump right in. Make your spiritual life a priority. You're like, yeah. Think about this. Make your spiritual life a priority. Because of Plato's philosophy of secular, sacred, right? In, in church, we do say this is sacred, and then you get outside of church, and everything's secular. Because of this idea, this wrong philosophy of secular, sacred, we have compartmentalized our entire lives, and God is left out of most of it. Right. We come here and then we leave here and now we're in the secular world and then God is left out of most of that. And that's not that is not biblical. We all know in a biblical worldview, if it's not sinful, it's right. Say it again. If it's not sinful, it's so if it's sacred. Right. If everything we do, if we're not sinning, if it's not a sin, if it's not wrong, then it's right. Then we're doing something that's right and good. God created everything. Satan created nothing. Satan only distorts what God created. Right. So if it's not sinful, it's sacred. So when we leave here, every part of our lives can be an act of worship to God. When we go to work, it doesn't matter. When we're at school, it is summer, when you're playing sports, on a mission trip, not on a mission trip, it doesn't matter. Everything we do can be an act of worship. Everything we do, we can enter into the presence of God because he created it all. See, if we're going to live our lives in the presence of God, we've got to get rid of, we've got to change this mindset, the secular, sacred, philosophical mindset. That needs to change. That need, you need to honestly spend some time thinking to yourself, how do I change this cultural mindset that has been ingrained in me for some of you for 70, 80 years? It's been ingrained in you and it's wrong. It's wrong. Things are not either sacred or secular. They're either sinful or sacred. That's a biblical worldview. So that frees you up to experience God in every single area of your life, every single decision of your life, every single action of your life. So how do we get rid of that philosophy? How do we do that? Well, during this series, I said I wanted to bring people up to kind of share their experiences. So I asked Chuck Proudfit and Brian Pierce to come up and I'm going to kind of interview them real quick. Get this out of the way. I want to hear from I want to hear from them. There, you can grab those chairs right there. There's two mics. There should be two mics right there. So, Chuck, I want you to be, I want you to be more general, right? And then, Brian, I want to get more specific. So, Chuck, tell us, just give us kind of, tell us how you make your spiritual life a priority at work. First of all, good morning. <laughs> so, you were talking about the 100 students that are headed out for a youth ministry, you know, missions trip for the week. I think that's great. But what I'm thinking about are the 500 or 1,000 of us that go to work every Monday morning from this congregation who are on mission in the place where we work. And the problem that I think we have as the church is that we don't have the mindset of anything that isn't sinful is sacred. So our subconscious default is that work is secular. 
And as a result of that, in general, we miss opportunities for ministry in our day-to-day work. So what does it look like, in general, mm-hmm. for us to be more observant? When we go to work and we see someone who is in need, what does it look like for us to see it? And then to be courageous enough to say, what could I do about it? Mm-hmm. And then to be faithful enough to believe that God could come through and do something above and beyond what we could imagine. Awesome. Anything else? I mean, I, I don't want to... That's really great. I mean, that's really, really great. Luke chapter 10. You know, the idea of people of peace. Jesus... You, hey, you, no, you, he can... I know he can... No, he's being really... No, he's being really <laughs> careful of time. And I just, you know, if that's... You're good. But I, I want you, you to be able to take the time to kind of... This is important. Chuck is the Chuck is the founder of At Work on Purpose. He's one of our elders here at Grace Chapel um, and impacts people's lives on a daily basis, training them around the world, really, of what it means to be at work on purpose. So if you please to be at work on God's purposes. Yes. All right. Luke chapter 10. This is where Jesus is sending out. Good morning, Pat Frew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a squirrel. Um, <laughs> Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 and work teams of two to surrounding towns and villages to share the good news of Christ. And in that scripture, he lays out a prescription, a four-step process for engaging people spiritually where we work or anywhere else. We're supposed to have a warm greeting. If they blow us off, we dust off our sandals and move on. But if they respond, then we are to build relationship with them. We're to fellowship with them. We're to break bread with them, get to know them, hear what ails them and heal the sick. In other words, find out what their felt needs are and how we can meet them. And then we tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to them. In other words, to proclaim Christ as the reason for our motivation. Mm -hmm. So in Luke 10, Jesus is laying out in general a process by which we engage the people around us at work and everywhere else to bless, to fellowship, to minister, and to proclaim in that order. Beautiful. Thanks, Chuck. So, Brian, I want you to get a little more specific on how you are bringing your spiritual life into your business. Kind of tell us that. All right, there's a couple of different ways. Um, I'm a business owner, so uh, I have a little bit more freedom than someone that would work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, one of the ways is being a, a business owner. Um, I don't feel myself as the owner of the business. Good I, uh, I'm a steward of my business. Mm-hmm. So I, there's nothing special about me. Um, I'm a landscaper. So I didn't go to college, I don't have special education or, um, you know, I wasn't extremely academic or uh, very spiritual, but God has blessed me with this. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm a steward of this business. So um, in everything we do in our business, we try to uh, go to him first yeah. for guidance and yep. then uh, go forward with it. Um, but uh, with my guys, so... Uh, uh, a lot of my guys uh, don't have the best home life or don't have the um, um, best walk uh, in their life. So uh, biggest thing for me is to live by example. Um, Perfect. To, uh, to the extent of uh, you know, language sometimes flows pretty freely in, in our line of work. And, uh, um, but guys know enough that when they come into my office or, or um out in the field working with right. them, and they and word slipper, they say something, turn to me and apologize. Hmm. Um, just in the fact because they know 
um, how I live my life and, and what I do. And I think the biggest thing, if, if um, anything, would be relationships, yeah. is being able to build that uh, relationship with, with the guys at work and, and with my customers and to uh, li- live that out um, yeah. in everything and I'm going to ask you one more question. You, sure. you, you took it a step beyond this. Uh, we talked about business tree. We do business trees here at Grace Chapel. Um, and you took it a step beyond. Tell us about the, the new business that you've started specifically as a business tree. So, uh, well, you're fine. Um, uh, so I give a little history. Uh, we um, you used to do residential and uh, started moving into the commercial market. And uh, we got to a point where we were ready to go full commercial. And so um, in that, we were just going to um, write everybody a letter that were our residential customers. And sorry if any of you are here. Um, and we we're just going to say, hey, we're, we're done. We're not uh, doing residential anymore. you got to go find somebody else. And... Uh, through a uh, sermon, I got back to work and uh, uh, talked to my mom. My mom actually owns more than the business than I do, but uh, so if you guys know her, uh, just give her a big hug. And uh, but uh, so I went back to her and just said, you know, I, I feel like this is God's. This isn't ours, and we're just wanting to go see ya, mm-hmm. you know, and just dump what what He's built. And so met with you. We went through the process, and um, Rachel and Adam Lyman, which I think are right there, yeah. So uh, got to take on the residential customers and start uh, working with them and, and building um, Elements Pro as a business tree. And then uh, just last year, um, I, I, I wanted to get my hands dirty just in the fact of um, – you know, you put so much into your business and wanted more out of it, um, not for myself, right. um, but to give to the Lord. And uh, so uh, we wanted to build a uh, fertilization company um, solely for the purpose of giving back, no, nothing else. I, I didn't need something more to do. I've got plenty to do as <laughs> it is already. Like mow my lawn this week. Yeah, my exactly. mower broke. Yeah, yeah. you got to get over there, man. It's, it's kind of looking nappy. It's right on Butler Warren too, so everybody knows uh, it's my house. So <laughs> get that whole but, stripe thing going too. You know what I'm saying? I, I never. I, I, I do crop circles. Yeah. You, you do a nice little. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but uh, so wanted to be able to give, um, and so we decided to build a fertilization company. Um, similar to probably what you guys use, like a, a, a true green, um, to, to give an example. But the goal was to um, be able to uh, form this business so we could um, purposely give back, and that, that's what the business was all about. But um, and, and, two, I want to thank you guys. Um, I, I ended up reading the Business Street book, and... Uh, was very moved by that, not to um, just have a business that on the outside um, was good, but totally through and through to be able to um, be able to uh, hire believers and um, peak goals that also 
uh, goes to church here is now uh, working in that business and being able to run that and be able to have a business that is through and through um, committed to Christ's work and to uh, to doing that. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Anything else you guys want to add or you good? I just <clears throat> I think it's awesome that you're doing that. See, to me, this is one person who's out in the workplace who's thinking creatively and faithfully about yep. taking the resources that God has at your disposal and stewarding them for a kingdom purpose. But I just dream of a day where every single Christian in the work world was doing that at work. Yep. It would transform the world it one workplace at a time. Amen. Thank you guys very, very much. That was great. That was great. Good job. That was awesome. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks, John. That was great. That was See, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I wanted them to come up here because this is what we're talking about, being in the presence of God. You say, well, the presence of God, it becomes this like ominous, like outside of the realm of possibility for anyone. It's not. I mean, I love the fact that Brian, I mean, you know, he, he felt like, you know, I have my business and I, I tithe for my business and I, I make that a part of who I am. But I want to start something specifically where that those resources go into investing in the lives of orphans and widows and people around the world. I think that's amazing how God has moved in their lives that way. And that's what happens when you begin to live in the presence of God. See, God can't be just one thing that we and just another thing that we do during the week. He has to be a part of everything that we do during the week. Whether it's coming to church or going to work, it doesn't matter. He is in, He lives in us. We take him with us anyway. Why not allow him to work in our lives while we're there? See, God's not just a part of our lives. He is life. He is life. In Job chapter 40, 33, verse 4, it says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Gives me life. God is our lives. God is life. He's not a part. It's not, it's not, sacred. It's not secular and sacred. Okay? It, God is life, and he should be a part of every area of our lives. Number two, we need to recognize our sin. When we recognize our sin, honestly, we recognize our need for God. How do I draw into the presence of God? From talking to a lot of you, this is one of the things that came up. We need to recognize our sin so we can recognize our need for God. See, here's the thing. Bad theology is ruining our walk with Christ. If you have the mindset, I'll give you an example. If you have the mindset that deep down, that's what I hear, deep down, that, that I'm good at heart. Deep down, I'm good at heart. Then you will be making wrong, you will be drawing wrong conclusions and making wrong decisions for yourself and for others around you. If that your idea is that deep down, I have a good, good heart. We need to recognize our sinfulness and our weaknesses so that we can overcome them. That's the problem. People don't recognize. People have a difficult time self-reflecting. I'm not saying you should have a bad self-image. I don't have a bad self-image. I know who I am. I am am a follower of Jesus Christ. I belong to Christ. I'm very confident who I am, but I also recognize who I am and that I have a sinful nature. And without that, then I'm going to go off and be doing things I shouldn't be doing or having mindsets I shouldn't have negatively affecting my own life and the lives of others. When we fail to recognize our sin, we fail to recognize our need for God. That makes sense. 
If I don't recognize my sin, there are people in this room, if I got them up here and they told you their, their last five years of their life, they blow you, blow you away. And now they're living a Christ-like life. It's transformed them. Why? Because they recognized where they were and the sin in their lives and said, I no longer want to live this way. But if you don't recognize your sin, and I'm raising my hand, I'm not picking on any, you know, picking all of you, I'm the pastor, all you sinners. You've got to recognize your sin so you can recognize your need for God. See, when, if we don't do that, we begin to believe, I can do this all on my own. I, I, I got this. I can do this all on my own. See, the, one of the problems is that we think, we think that we can trust our hearts. We think we can trust our hearts to lead us to do the right thing all the time. And, and if you're over five, okay, and have some kind of cognitive ability, you recognize that's not true. You can't trust, you can't always trust your feelings. You can't always trust your heart to lead you to do the right thing. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it extremely clear. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? If we have the, if we have the same mentality, if we, have, if we have the same thought process as Jesus, if, and we understood our hearts as Jesus does, it would change our lives. It would, here's what it would do. When we understand who we are in relation to God, it draws us into the presence of God. When I'm honest with myself, and again, I don't have a bad self-image, but when I'm honest with myself, I told you this before, about 15 years ago, I did this a week long, I'm going to judge my motives on everything. I'm going to, everything I do, I'm going to judge my motives. I lasted two days and I was, I felt terrible because I realized even the good things that I do, I have ulterior motives for why I'm doing them sometimes. And I realized, Greer, you're not as nice and good as you thought you were. You're doing all this stuff for these people over here, but there, and you're doing it. Here's your motive, but there's also these motives over here that maybe I'll be, or maybe people will, rec- whatever the case may be. And you begin to recognize your own sin, but then that draws you into the presence of God. And you're saying, God, help me change my motives. Help me change my heart. Help me change my attitude. We realize that we can't tr- always trust our feelings. We can't always trust our motives. And when we realize we can't always trust our feelings, and we can't always trust our motives, we begin to seek His guidance. When I realize that in my own heart, I begin to reach out to Him. But if you're walking around thinking, well, deep down, I'm a, I'm a wonderful person. Deep down in my heart, my heart is so pure and I'm so wonderful and I'm so good. That's opposite of what the Bible says about our sinful nature. But when you do that, you think, I got this covered. I don't need God. What do I need God for? I got myself. We all know how wonderful I am. But when you realize you can't trust your your feelings and you can't trust your motives, you begin to seek his guidance. Number three. This is huge, and this is another one I thought through. Focus on others. How do, we, how do we enter into the presence of God? What will help me enter into the presence of God? What will strengthen my walk with Jesus Christ? It is focusing on other people, on other people. When we focus on others, we fulfill the great commandment that's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. It says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, loving God and loving others are, are inter, if you will, they're interconnected. They're interconnected. We, we read this in 1 John chapter 3, 
verses 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's what the Bible says. Where it's interconnected. You say you love God, but you don't love other people and you won't sacrifice and give to other people. If you see someone in need, if you see someone emotionally hurting or physically hurting or spiritually hurting or whatever the case may be, and you have no pity or you have no desire to help that person. Well, the Bible says, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. When we invest in others... Our hearts are connected to the heart of God. Think about this. When I invest in someone else, my heart then becomes connected to the heart of God. In Matthew 25, what does it say? Right? What is it talking? We're talking in Matthew 25 where it says that we, we, need to, we need to be investing in other people. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you what? You did for me. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. New Testament, Old Testament says the exact same thing. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and God will reward him for what he has done or what she has done. He who is kind to other people, who invests in other people, gives to the Lord and God will reward him for what he has done. What that specifically means is when you give yourself to someone, when you give something to someone who's in need, that is directly giving that gift to God. You might as well just hand it over to Jesus in his hands. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of sisters of mine, you did for me. He who is kind to someone else lends to the Lord, gives it to God. God the Father, Jesus Christ, same thing. When you give to someone, you are, you are basically coming into contact with the very heart of God. When we serve others, we serve God. And God's ultimate reward is dwelling in his presence. Do you want to dwell in the presence of God? Do you want to live in the presence of God? Do you want to be able to overcome any fear that you have or anxiety or stress or dealing with, uh, with, with, uh, with struggles in your life? Things that, you, things that have bondage in your life right now. You want to overcome those things? One of the things that you can do is invest in other people's lives because it draws you into the very heart of God. It allows you to dwell in the very presence of God. And that's what we're looking for here. Serving, serving, serving forces us to seek God's help. It forces us to seek God's wisdom on how we can serve the other person. People, <laughs> people have complex okay, issues and problems. Take it from me. All right. People's problems, and you know this if you just have your own problems, multiply that times a thousand, if you will. People's problems are complex. Their issues are complex. And, and when, when you invest in the lives of others, you need to draw from God. You, it, it helps you draw into the presence of God because you're saying, God, I, I don't know how to deal with this. People tell, it's like Solomon, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. This is my baby. He says, cut the baby in half. And the real mother's like, whoa, 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 let her have the baby. These, these people are, human problems are complex. 
And when you get into situations where you're helping someone, you need wisdom, you need guidance, you need help. And where are you going to find that help? You can't find it in your own mind sometimes. It doesn't come. It doesn't just come to you. You need to seek the presence of God. And so helping other people in their complex and difficult problems helps you seek the very presence of God. Think of Mother Teresa, for example. Mother Teresa... Right. Lived in. She she tried to dwell in the presence of God. And I think she really spent her life dwelling in the presence of God. Why? How did she do that? Because she gave her life in service to others. How did she? How did now? She's not perfect. She's not Jesus. But how did she stay and continue to do the things she was doing all her life? She dwelled in the presence of God. She was dwelling in the presence of God. And why was she constantly dwelling in the presence of God? Because she was constantly investing in the lives of other people. And she knew, I can't, I physically, emotionally, and spiritually can't handle this on my own. I need God's help. Number four, and last, challenge your fear. Challenge your fear. You think about that. How do I dwell in the presence of God? How can I live my life in the presence of God? When we challenge our fears, we seek his strength. If you, if you could overcome your own fears you'd, alone, you'd have done that already, right? If you, like, I know a lot of people, oh, I'll never get up. I would never get up and speak. And I've told you this before, but my greatest fear in life, I mean to the point of, of absolute, like, petrified whatever words you want to use, was public speaking. That was, uh, my gosh. The thought of me doing this is rid- was ridiculous. It would have been outrageous. Then I got saved. I got transformed. God started working and telling me, no, this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life. I had to overcome those fears. When, you over- when you're trying to overcome a fear in your life, you draw on God's strength. I was able to overcome many of the fears that I had in my life. Why? Not because, man, I just pulled myself in my own bootstraps. I dug real down deep. And sometimes, don't you guys will back me on this. Sometimes you dig, you go down real deep and you come up with nothing, right? There are no bootstraps. They're broken. They snapped a long time ago, right? It's the old footprints in the sand. Yeah, I was carrying you through all those times. That's exactly right. When you want to overcome your fears in life, you draw on the strength of God. You draw on his strength. Psalm, I mean, Philippians 4, 6 says this. Do not be anxious about any situation, any situation by prayer, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God. Go into the presence of God. When you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling fearful in some area, go into the presence of God. The Bible says if you want to overcome your fear, you need to seek the presence of God. You need to live in the presence of God. Facing our fears... Okay, when we when we when we when we face our greatest fears, it forces us, it forces us to cling to and depend on God. Give you an example. Um, you all at some point in your life, when you were growing up, whether it was your you live with your parents or maybe your grandparents or whatever situation you were facing. Um, there probably was a time you can think back where you were in a situation where you were absolutely something happened. You were terrified and you got behind your parent and clung to them. 
right? You were clinging to them. You were, you were afraid. And your first reaction was to get behind them and grab them by the leg or whatever. Just get behind them. You see it with little kids now. If they get frightened, they, just, they get right behind their parents. As a grandparent, as a parent and a grandparent, when, when your grandson or granddaughter or child, whatever, is frightened, okay, they instinctively know that you love them and that you'll do anything necessary to protect them from any danger that you're about to face. Honestly, it doesn't matter. We were just in Alaska and thank God we didn't get any close to any large bears or anything. But mo- I would say almost everyone in this room, if your child was standing there and the bear was there, which one of us would not charge the bear, surrender our own lives to protect our children? Our children know that. Our children, our children understand that. When we feel fear, okay, we cling, we depend on our parents. We depend on those who love us. And who loves us the most? God does. God loves us beyond what anybody could possibly even imagine. Beyond our wildest imagination, God loves us. So when we want to overcome our fears, we need to cling to, we need to depend on God. And as we mature... As we mature in our love for him and our understanding of his love for us, that 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 love only that only grows. It only it only it only increases. That love only increases and love is powerful. Okay, stick with my thought process. Love is powerful. Powerful. The more the more we love God the more we enter into the presence of God. And the more we enter into the presence of God, the deeper, the more intense, and the more perfect that love becomes. So we got to step back. We want to over, we want to get in the presence of God. We need to learn to overcome our fears. Fear, seriously, is your, is your lucky day. If you are a fearful person, if you are afraid of public speaking, if you're afraid to do this, you're afraid of that, you're afraid, whatever your fear is, it's your lucky day because you can use that, what Satan has put into your heart. The enemy put that in your heart, right? Through an experience in your life, you never want to do that again because the last time you did that, this happened. And so you're like 50 years old and you won't do that. You're afraid to go into that situation because something happened when you were 10, right? And he's got you in bondage. And now you're afraid to do that. You don't want to go here. You don't want to try this. You don't want to go there. I'm telling you, it's your lucky day because now you confront it. And confronting your fear, you will draw into the, you will be that kid who latches on to God and be in the presence. You will depend on him. You will cling to him. You will be asking him. You will be talking to him. I challenge you, okay, this morning. To confront that fear. A year from now, or two years from now, that is not going to be a fear in your life anymore. Why? Because you're going to enter into the presence of God and you're going to say, God, I need you to carry me through this. I told you how I overcame the fear of like public speaking and all that kind of stuff. Really quick. I'll tell this really quick. What I did was I said, okay, if if that makes me afraid and the enemy is the one trying to make me afraid... I'm going to say yes every time someone asks me to do something I'm afraid to do. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to think about it. The moment you asked me to do something and it, and it created some fear in me, I said yes. So think about this battle strategy for the enemy. Every time the enemy tries to make me feel afraid in that situation, I'm going to say yes. That's not a good battle strategy anymore. Because now I'm standing up here, I don't even get butterflies. 
Okay, I just love being with you guys and talking to you. If I mess up, I laugh about it. You laugh about it. We have a good time. I don't care. You love me. I'm not concerned about what I say the wrong thing or stutter or go, um, I'll live, right? We'll all live. It was, it was a, I'm just telling you, it was a bad battle strategy for the enemy because I turned right around and said, fine, if you're going to make me feel fearful, fearful, see, I messed up already. If you're going to make me feel fearful, I'm going to do the opposite in the presence of God. I'm going to go into the presence of God and say, Lord, carry me through this no matter how nervous I get. Just, just walk me through it. After a while, it's like, hmm, right? Because we enter into the presence of God. Whatever fear, you're, whatever fear you're struggling with right now, use it to your advantage. You will be drawn into the very presence of God because God, his love for you will grow. His love for you and your understanding of his love for you will just grow deeper, more intense, okay, and more real, more perfect. 1 John 4, 18 says this, there is no fear in love, Right? Because perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out fear. If you draw into the presence of God and experience the presence of God in your life, the love of God in your life, you draw into him. You cling to him. You depend on him. You understand his love. That will drive fear out of your life and drive you more into the presence of God. Now, I have a few more. Okay. The next point just it's, it's the next point is dynamic, life altering. And I'll tell you about it next week. All right. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Oh, God, thank you so much for this awesome day. Thank you so much for this awesome time. And Lord, thanks for the practical side of who you are. Lord God, as we, as we come together as the body of Christ, we know that you've given all of us different experiences, and we thank you for those different experiences. And Father, we just pray together that through these different experiences of drawing into your presence, that we would, each of us, individually and as the body of Christ, become more like your son, Jesus. That we would truly be able to, to seek you out, to, to dwell in your presence, and to know you in a more intimate way. So God, we pray that as the next, over the next week or so, that we would think through what it means to walk with you. We would take each of these steps that we've been talking about, Lord God. We take each of these steps, especially the one about fear. And Lord God, help us. Help us. Give us the strength through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, through the resurrection power of your Son, Jesus Christ, give us the strength to overcome that. And Lord, we will rejoice. We will give you the praise and glory even in advance of what you're going to do in our lives as you set us free to dwell with you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.